0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to Exploring Lord of the Rings. Um, I, 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 I'm feeling, having that feeling again, this often happens when I go away to the regional moots because, uh, you know, it's just a, a short trip. I was only gone for three days. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's always such a fun time going out and getting to meet people. And uh, this, of course, <laughs> this was a particularly intense experience, I have to say. Um, uh, this past weekend because not only was there the moot, uh, but I also went to w- to the World Series game, so that was pretty awesome, uh, and very intense. And not only did I go to a World Series game, I went to the 18 inning World Series game, <laughs> so and was there for seven hours and 20 minutes, uh, which was pretty cool. But like I said, it made the whole weekend <laughs> feel <laughs> like it was about four weeks long, um, so, uh yeah, anyway, it was really fun. I uh, had a great weekend. Um but uh, yeah, Erik exactly. That's the game I chose to I chose well it was the only one I could attend. Uh game 4 uh conflicted with uh moot activities, so we were we were still involved uh, with stuff and I was flying home uh on uh, Sunday. So it was the only one I could go to. And boy, did I get my money's worth. Can I just say um uh but anyway, yeah, it was great. Uh so what a great weekend. But yes, I do um um, I do always feel when I come home from these, like I, I've been gone for weeks, right? So I almost, you know, I, I, all week I'm sort of beginning things by saying things like, welcome back, It's it's been a long time, and I'm like, no, actually, I was here last week. It's just, it's, it's, it's the same time as normal, it just feels like more. Um, but anyway, anyway... Um, Uh, glad you guys could join me. Glad that I am doubly glad, trebly glad that I am here with you guys this week, because of course that means that the Red Sox won the World Series in five, like I predicted. So we're safe and able to do class here just as planned. That was a lot of fun. Um, so, um, (laughs) yeah, timey-wimey stuff. Exactly. Uh, Gilgir, that's exactly it. Um, Anyhow, so many thanks for those of you who could join me at L.A. Moot. Uh, We had a wonderful time, some really great discussion. Uh, It was uh, great to meet uh, a bunch of you. Uh, And it's funny, you know, over the last, uh, you know, several moots, Um, You know, it's one thing I've been accustomed to whenever we've had events is, of course, getting to meet people whose names I'm familiar with. Right. You know, like people whose names I've seen on various lists, you know, for years. Right. Student lists or attendee lists or donor lists or all kinds of lists I have with people's names on it. And some of them I've I've been seeing for years. Right. So when I see them, when I meet, you know, when I finally see that name on a name tag, I feel like I'm meeting a celebrity. Right. Uh, And uh, this time. Uh, uh, not just this past weekend, but for the last several moots, of course, I keep, uh, meeting people disgu- and and uh, whom I only, whom I, whom I know primarily, uh, by their, uh, Twitch or Discord handles, uh, so Belongsmond, I got to meet, uh, uh, got to have, uh, uh, got to have dinner there, uh, and, uh, hang out on Saturday, that was really fun, um, and, uh, anyway, a lot of, uh, uh, A lot of really uh, uh, great times meeting with several of you, uh, actually. So uh, thanks for those of you who could come to LA Moot, which reminds me that I want to uh, prompt anybody who's in the vague area of Charlotte, North Carolina, to come join me at Magnolia Moot. Uh, We're going to be down in the southeast in two weeks. Well, a little less than two weeks. So weekend after next on uh, November 10th, we'll be down in Charlotte. So I hope you'll be able to join me. uh, You know, some uh, a a good-looking crowd already uh, coming in there. Stephanie, so good, uh, so good to be able to see you there. Excellent, Eric Heb, you're going to come too. Fantastic, that's that's great. So anyway, there's still time to register for that if you haven't gotten a chance to yet. Just go to signumuniversity.org and then scroll down a little bit to the events panels, and you can uh, you can catch that. Okay, so anyway, that's going to be. Uh, that's going to be great fun. Hope that you'll, uh, uh, some of you, some more of you also will be able to, uh, uh, to join me there. Um. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be hosted uh, by Johnson C. Smith University, uh, uh, one of our one of my favorite institutions down there uh, in that area, my home away from home in the south. Uh, so uh, really looking forward to getting back to J.C.S.U. and uh, uh, looking forward to a, a good meeting down there. Um, that's right. Cecilia, Amy and Anna are coming. Excited about that, too. Going to get a, a, a looking forward to the chance to meet to meet them as well. Um Gonna be really cool. So, and like I said, still time to register. We're 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 a little more than a week and a half away, um, but I hope you'll get a chance to come join us if you can. Um, and uh, oh yes, the other thing I wanted to make sure to mention. Uh, so we're doing uh, that. We're in the last two days of the uh, the special that Signum is running on the um, um uh, the the special that Signum is running on our uh, anytime audit course, on Chaucer, my Canterbury Tales class, my Chaucer 2 class, technically, um, uh, on the Canterbury Tales, uh, which we're doing in celebration of Chaucer's Death Day, which was last week. So uh, the sale goes through tomorrow, through the 31st of October at midnight. Uh, So at uh, midnight on Halloween, uh, the uh, discount will be over. So uh, just go to the signumuniversity.org homepage and you'll see the ad for it there at the top. You you can uh, get full access to... All of the course materials, including all all of my recorded lectures, plus uh, all the the, the reading assignments and the handouts, and uh, not not to mention, uh, you will be an auditing student of Signum, so you'll get access to our library resources and everything else. Um, So you can get that. uh, The tuition is only $75 for the next two days for the Canterbury Tales class. So I wanted to make sure to draw your attention to that before uh, that expired. So, all right. Well, Tonight, uh, we are going to try to move along here, where we are approaching another piece of poetry, which is always, these are always major landmarks, of course, in our discussion. We're not going to get there tonight, but uh, we're going to try to get, uh, move our way through the wilderness here. Uh, and uh, last time we spent a lot of our Uh, discussion, of course, about the Nazgul. Uh, Not really discussing what was happening as much as what wasn't happening, right? Namely, more attacks by the Nazgul. Um, So... um this, tonight, when we get to our uh, uh, to our next passages of text as we cross the river and into the Trollshaws, I want to be thinking about sort of the big picture of what Aragorn's plan is, primarily. As, once again, of course, the narrative primarily follows the point of view of the hobbits who don't know what's going on, right, and don't really know the plan. So what can we conclude? Um, what can we conclude about the uh, the... the uh, plans of Aragorn uh, based on what we see there. So that's the, uh, that's the plan. That's the, but before we get to that, there are several uh, more quests, more Nazgul related questions that people have. I can tell that uh, kind of trying to process the whole, like what's going on with the Nazgul uh, uh, here is a, is a pretty major thing. And I will acknowledge it's been a really major thing for me uh, as we've been going through. So um we'll we'll see about that and actually uh uh, most majorum there on twitter asks a good question which actually was also asked on the uh the the um discussion boards which i didn't get to so i might as well actually uh just talk about that now which is do the nazgul know the location of rivendell I don't know. I don't see very much reason to think that they necessarily would. Uh, it's supposed to be secret, right? And they are not, they don't do door much. Uh, I mean, presumably the Witch King is more or less familiar with it. Maybe the Witch King knows about it from his Angmar days. Um, or at least has a general sense of where it is, even if he couldn't actually walk into it himself. You know, I like, just like find it, you know, and waltz into it. Um, maybe R- Rivendell is unplottable. JJ suggests it's uh, it's it's possible. Um, so yeah, he probably know. in any case they're they're, they're going to know it's there, right? I mean, R- Rivendell was involved in the wars with Sauron uh, back in the Second Age, so they're going to know about Rivendell. Again, okay, whether or not he could ride up to it and, and you know knock on Elrond's door, uh, uh, you know maybe maybe not, um, but certainly he um. um uh yeah and exactly as a, a, a Trifle and are saying Rivendell was besieged at one point. And I've always wondered exactly what that looked like by the way. Um uh like what um I mean a siege of Rivendell exactly like what precisely that means cuz it can't be a siege in the normal sense exactly right I, that it like You know, a walled city with an army outside, right? Because it's not a walled city, it's a valley, right? So what, were they up around the valley and they were kept from coming in? How were they kept from coming in, right? Again, it's just like, it's not the normal siege warfare kind of situation, right? Um... So, Lalith, yeah, it is possible that there's some sort, you know, with, like, protective magic over Rivendell in some sense, right? So that they were kind of outside, you know, I don't know what, like, the aura of Rivendell and not able to come in. Lalith, yeah, I mean, we do have a model for that in the girdle of Melian, but we have no indication of uh, anything like that, really, uh, uh, working for Elrond, maybe. I mean, it's possible, Um, but... uh, Anyhow, you know, I, 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 I I'm, as I say, I'm not quite sure what it, what that looked like. Um, and it may even have been a little bit more, I don't know. I mean, like, if you know the general area where Rivendell is, right. And you park your army nearby. I, 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 again, I don't know. That would be an interesting thing. Someday let's recreate the siege of Rivendell. That's what we need to do, but not tonight. Um, anyway, anyway one way or the other, I do think there's good reason to think that the the Nazgul certainly know of the existence of Rivendell and can probably make a shrewd guess that that's where they're headed. Right. So, uh, I, that they're going to expect the, um, the company, you know, the hobbits and and Strider to be headed out in that direction. You headed out East towards Rivendell, um, would, uh, that would be, um, uh, uh, sort of obvious, right. Um, And would obviously explain Strider's anticipation, I guess, that the um, ringwraiths are likely to try to cut them off at the choke points, of which there are two, namely the two rivers, right, which they have to cross. Um, Anyhow. So let's, uh, uh, but, but that's a great question. And as I said, I know that was on other people's minds as well. But so that was a pre, a pre a gaming question. It didn't even count as one of our Nazgul questions. But I'm going to try to get through them so that we can actually move forward uh, into the text here tonight. Um, but first, okay. Diedelbaum was asking when two ring wraiths stopped at the edge of the Dell. During the attack on Weathertop, of course. Maybe they were susceptible to Frodo's commands and were unsure of what to do. Maybe the two ringwraiths who stopped when Frodo drew his sword interpreted his actions as a command from the holder of the One Ring. Did Frodo's cry of Elbereth hurt the ringwraiths more because he was wearing the ruling ring as he shattered her name? Is that crazy? Um, no, it's not crazy, uh, Dito Bomb. Uh, we do know, of course, that... Um, we do, we do know of course that the um the ring of power you know the ruling ring does in fact rule the nine so that's you know um, um that's a, that's that obviously works right but i don't i th- i feel pretty strongly about the fact that frodo cannot command them yes he's wearing the ruling ring but no, I do not believe that he can command them. Um, and here I am reminded, of course, of the conversation that he and Goadriel have, right? Later on, he's going to ask Goadriel, hey, uh, I'm permitted to wear the ruling ring. Um, but, you know, all y'all are always talking about how, uh, you know, if if uh, Sauron has the ring, then all of the thoughts of all the others will be exposed to him. He's like, when I wear it, why can't I see everybody's thoughts, right? That sounds kind of awesome. Why, you know, And... Her answer is, you haven't tried. And then she adds, don't try, right? Uh, In other words, one way that I think we can paraphrase Frodo's question here is, hey, do I automatically get, shouldn't I rather, right? Shouldn't I automatically get all the powers of, you know, Sauron wielding the ruling ring? I mean, it's the ruling ring, right? Shouldn't I be able to like rule folks and stuff if I'm wearing the ruling ring? Um... Doesn't does, does 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 that is that like an automatic perk when I put on the ruling ring? And Goadriel's answer is no, it's not automatic. Right? You have to. It 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 could in fact uh, give you resources. Right? Um, if you bend your will in this direction, your will will be strengthened to the dom. Will be you know sort of conditioned and strengthened to the domination of others. Right. Um, and heb you're exactly right. He is. And J.J. as well. Um, he is going to start applying his mind in that way. Right. With Gollum. Right. He's going to be daunting the will of Gollum uh, and threatening him with the ring to command him even to his death. Right. And that's sketchy. Right. That's a, that's dangerous ground uh, that Frodo is beginning to walk on. Right. Uh, there in book four, which we'll get to uh, before too long. But um, but he's not done it yet. Right. Um, and he's he hadn't done it by the, He hadn't gone done any of that by the time he was in Lothlorien. And I see no reason to think he's done anything of the kind here. In fact, what we the, th- what we actually see in the scene is quite the opposite of that. Right. Rather than him asserting his will and attempting to increase the dominance of his own will by um, uh, by the power of the ring he is puts on the ring in submission right uh he is his own will is dominated uh so that he puts on the ring practically against his own will right so um anyway so that's i i i feel pretty strongly that he is not able to wield those elements of the power of the Ruling Ring, that that power is not acts accessible by him uh, just because he happens to be wearing the Ruling Ring at the time. Therefore, I don't believe that his own will is commanding uh, the ring wraiths in that sense. I do think that especially when he draws his sword, they are daunted by him to some... He is fighting back, not just physically with the sword, but with his will to resist them. Um, which Gandalf is gonna be talking about, his will to resist, uh, there as well being important. Um, so those things I think are what is really important there with the ring wraiths, not just um uh, uh not the, the the power of the ring itself, but I think it's a really good question. That was then uh, to the other part of Dietelbaum's question Did Frodo's cry of Elbereth hurt the ring wraiths more because he was wearing the ruling ring as he shattered her name? No. No, that I um uh, that, actually, I, th- I feel even more strongly about, actually, uh, because, of course, the power of Elbereth, which I, I, you know, again, I, I, is it, as we've said, it's a little hard to distinguish. Is this an Elvish, is this Elvish magic, right, that is being evoked uh, through Frodo's words, part of the blessing that Gildor placed upon him, right? Or is this Elbereth herself intervening, Uh, In response to that, personally, I kind of think it's sort of both, actually. That he cries out, Ah, Elbereth Gilthonio. I think that that's Gildor's blessing. That something leads him to cry out, Ah, Elbereth Gilthonio. And I think that what leads him to cry out, Ah, Ah, Elbereth Gilthonio, is Gildor's blessing. Um, But I don't think it's just Gildor's blessing that you know, uh, scatters the ringwraiths. I think that that's the intervention of Elbereth who is responding, who hears when her name is called there. Therefore, in either case, whether, uh, the, whether we're talking about the power of Gildor's blessing or we're talking about the power of Elbereth intervening on Frodo's behalf, neither one of those things would be particularly um, cooperative with the power, uh, Of the ruling ring, right? Um, uh, The power of Sauron, the power which is specifically, which is placed in the ring, is that power to dominate the will of others, right? Um, And what he's doing there is almost the opposite, right? It's almost uh, the reverse, really, Um, because his own will is scarcely engaged right he doesn't even sort of realize that he's saying anything so um so yeah there's a there's a there's an there's an almost kind of self-abandonment right uh to frodo's cry and what happens there which again seems very un ring of power ish so even apart from the fact that in principle you know those two things the call of elbereth the the you know the cry of supplication to elbereth of praise and supplication uh to elbereth and the um um the you know the power to dominate from the ruling ring not only are they pointed in different directions in general um uh that is like being on opposite sides of things right and so probably not uh uh in for constructive interference here right Um, But nevertheless, uh, I I think it's also pretty clear that they're moving directly in the opposite directions in their sort of themes and trends there, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. um, Yeah, good. Okay, and... um, Yeah, good. But I don't think that's crazy. It's a good question, Dieterbaum. I I was glad to talk about it. Um, All right, and... Okay, this is a a longish one, but uh, Mike, this is a really great observation, and and, and I've got a little follow-up to this as well. Um, Then we're totally back on track. Okay. Given the knowledge available to him and the resources at hand, did the Witch King make any tactical blunders in his tracking down and pursuit of Baggins? And then a number of points. One, initially... Given more or less only Baggins and Shire and all of Eriador to search within, I think he pulled off a masterful search program. Agreed. We talked about this a long time back. The uh, degree of difficulty of what the ring rates had to accomplish was super high. I, I, they, I mean, if you're given only those two pieces of information and an entire, you know, large countryside to uh, to search. You know that they found it within only a matter of months, kind of nearly miraculous. Actually, great job, Witch King. The attack at Crickhollow was only partially successful, but I can't imagine what else he could have tried, given what he knew and didn't know about hobbits and the movement of baggins. The pursuit through the shire was, by chance, thwarted by high elves. What you gonna do? Right? Exactly. It's not their fault. The pursuit pursuit out of the Shire was hindered by Bombadil. Again, what you gonna do? The plan in Bree should have worked. This will be a common refrain. The attack on Weathertop should have worked. First of all, the extended spiritual attack should have worked. Secondly, the in-person attack slash stabbing should have worked. Elbereth was outside their estimation, as was, I suspect, Aragorn in his counterattack song. Given how badly they were... Unexpectedly routed from Weathertop, could the pursuit to Rivendell have been carried out any differently? It should have worked. I think there's just one spot where the Witch King made a mistake, sending four of his fellows off after Gandalf after their light show on Weathertop. I think this was a mistake, and he should have known better and kept the band together. But otherwise, I don't know that he made any errors. He did a pretty good job and was mainly defeated by incomplete knowledge rather than any flaws in his plans. Um, Exactly. Yes, exactly. I, I agree. In fact, uh, Mike, not only do I agree with all of those points, I disagree with the one criticism that you made, actually. Um, I don't see what else the Witch King could have done with Gandalf, right? Uh, Gandalf just fought off all nine of them successfully, right? Uh, he was besieged on Weathertop and fought them off. So what are they going to do? Ignore him, right? If they don't pursue him, what's Gandalf going to do? Keep running for what? No, he's going to circle back, right? They've got to keep that. They are motivated, right? The Witch King seems to be calculating, and I think correctly, right, that he the last thing he wants is for Gandalf to get connected with the Ring, right? He, he Gandalf's a threat. Clearly, Gandalf's a threat uh, to the Ringwraiths. So they have got to keep Gandalf away from the hobbits. Neither the hobbits and Strider nor Gandalf know where the other one are, right? But the Ring Raids know both. The Ring Raids know the general position. They're not 100% sure at that point. Like at the time, you know, when when Strider and the Hobbits are still in the middle of the marshes, right? While Gandalf is up on Weathertop. But they know generally, right? They know that they're between, that the Hobbits are between Bree and Weathertop. They don't know exactly where they are because they can't follow directly in Aragorn's footsteps through the marshes, right? Because he successfully lost them for the moment. But they know the area. So as far as the Ringwraiths know, they could be any minute, right? Gan- there's Gandalf on Weathertop. Strider and the Hobbits could be right around the corner for all they know, right? They have got to get Gandalf out of there and they've got to keep him away or else they're going to make their lives super difficult, Right. Gandalf could sling the ring bearer on his, that super fast horse of his. And then what are they going to do? Right. And they're completely hosed. So, no, they, he's they've got to keep Gandalf under control and out of the way. So you've got to send somebody off to chase him or else he's going to come and loop around and continue to make your life a misery. Right. As if your life as a ring wraith isn't already a misery, but even more miserable than the average day for a wraith, Right. But you've got to send a few. I mean, again, this is Gandalf who just fought off all nine of you, right? So, uh, you know, like, what are you going to send one, right? What's Gandalf going to do, right? Gandalf going to turn around and, and and unleash the sheaf of lightning or something, right? So, so no, so he sends four, which I I I would suppose to be what he calculates to be what it's needed to get the job done, right? To chase Gandalf off. So again, I don't th- I don't see how he could have. Um, how he could have done anything differently there either. Had he sent fewer or had he sent none, then Gandalf would have been on the loose and presumably would have been... There, so like just just as Striders are like, oh, Striders like, oh man, the the Ringwraiths are going to be waiting for us at the bridge, right? The Ringwraiths would be like, oh man, Gandalf's going to be waiting for us at the bridge, right? Which is very likely what Gandalf would have done. He probably would have ridden up and down the road, right, looking really fast on Shadowfax, looking for them, knowing that they're somewhere around there. Remember, he's heard from uh, from Butterbur that they left the inn. So he knows too that they're in the area. He does, he, you know. He especially after the attack on Weathertop. He knows less than the Ringwraiths do about their two relative uh, positions. But um, anyway, yeah. So, uh, so I guess, um, I guess I don't see anything. I I, 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 think that the Witch King gets an A for effort all the way through. I mean, I, I, I don't know what he could have done differently. Um, But I know that this kind of—the risk that this line of thought uh, runs, I think, and really the risk that our discussions of the last uh, several uh, sessions uh, in general have run the risk of doing, is making the Nazgul sound completely— even ridiculously impotent, right? Um, like they're just useless and, and helpless, fragile little flowers, right? You can't who like you know have nightmares of running into hobbits and, and being chased around by them, right? Um, uh, whereas you know so it, it you know perhaps our discussions have undermined your sense of uh, the Nazgul as Sauron's Sauron's most terrible servants. Uh, I gotta. As I was uh, on the bus home from uh, uh, L.A., I received this uh, really funny pair of tweets. Um, uh, the first one went like this: uh, "His my view of the Nazgul before this class," and of course, is this picture of you know Godzilla wrecking the city, right? Uh, and uh, and then my view of the Nazgul after this class. And it's an adorable little mouse, right? Uh, Looking really scared and nervous. Um, And I, you know, like, I understand. Uh, I understand, Todd, uh, how you might come away with that. It's not exactly the message that I'm trying to convey here. Um, uh, You know, so uh, let me, uh, so, so let me try to, let me try to let me try to explain <laughs> here. Let me, let, let me try to uh, 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 back up a little bit. Um, so going back to Mike's list here, Mike, I was really glad that you put together this list because one of the things that this really helps to show, right is what is the pattern here? At the end of the day, the pattern is not, to me, what is most valuable in seeing wherein the struggles of the Nazgul lay, right? Um, one of the great benefits to me of seeing that is not to reduce the power of the Nazgul in my mind, um, but to show the real pattern here. Um, as I was saying about the Witch King before, you know, and the, the attack in the dell. If you see the Nazgul as like any minute they could just come in and you know there's nobody you know they could just slaughter everybody and there's nothing anybody could do to stop them, um, if that if you have that view of the Nazgul if that's your understanding of the situation then it looks like the purest incompetence right uh, for them to miss the ring especially when he's right there right like oh okay, I don't care if Strider has fiery pointed sticks right Um, backhand him take the ring and go right I mean if if uh, if if if, I mean why didn't he do that and again if the but if the answer is that he couldn't it really does change things and it's not just any reason right Um, they're not in fact little mice scared of everything they are being thwarted and gosh you know Mike when you put it all together like this like you've done it begins to kind of look like a conspiracy doesn't it When you, uh, um, when you put on the, um, when you put on this, when, when you look at this whole list, you begin to see what exactly has been happening in order to preserve them, you know, and I'd, I'd even add some others here, right? They would have caught them at bag end, right? Despite the complete, completely inadequate lack of, uh, you know, uh, directions and street address and everything they actually tracked Frodo in the ring to his front door right they tracked him down to his house and missed him by minutes right not even hours minutes they missed him right um so they found him barely missed him right get thwarted at uh Crick Hollow only, and remember that only happened because they were, you know, able to escape and and get there and get out faster than uh, the Nazgul had thought, right? Um, because again, by minutes they got onto the ferry just in time, right? Um, uh, so there's there's you know all of these all of these near misses, right? Um, again, their failure at Crick Hollow, he was already gone, and then their resistance, the resistance by the Hobbits there. Um, the the very coincidental, right, uh, uh, thwarting by the High Elves, that, uh, you know, sh- being him being held uh, in shelter by Tom Bombadil, thus uh, depriving them of knowing where he, I mean, where did he go, right? And they can't find him, and they can't do anything about him uh, while he's there, right? Uh, the way that the Meeting with Strider unexpectedly thwarts the attack in Bree. They would never have done that. They would never have thought to, like, let's hang out, let's sit up in the parlor all night and not go to our bedrooms, right? That wouldn't have happened had it not been for Strider, Um, which how are they supposed to be able to anticipate that, right? Um, And then, of course, the way, again, thanks to Strider, the way that the attack under Weathertop is foiled, as we've discussed quite a bit right Um, and then the Elbereth intervention you just look at one thing after another right that has intervened to make them almost catch him but not quite he has continued to escape their grasp and I think again when you begin to look at the patterns of chance and coincidence and, um, and unexpected interventions that have been Uh, coming in on the Hobbit side and preventing the Nazgul from doing, from fulfilling this task that they seem to be doing a pretty good, he seemed to have a pretty good handle on, right? Um, Though it's difficult, again, as we've been seeing, like what they're trying to do is not easy, and yet he would have uh, been able to do it, it seems, right? Um, Except for the fact that... uh, it just kind of never worked out. And that seems to me, um, that seems to me to be, uh, um, to be an intervention, right? We're, we, we can kind of see a pattern here. I think, um, you know, as Gandalf might say, there is some other power at work here and, and that's made pretty much explicit by Gildor, right? Gildor sees it right away. Um, you know, uh, in this meeting, there may be more than chance, he says to Frodo, which for an elf counts as a heavy hint. Um, you know, it might seem kind of elusive, but still, you know, he was hinting fairly heavily. So anyway, I, 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 that seems to me the overall pattern. Again, the, the point is not that like the Nazgore totally incompetent. Indeed, the, the, when you look at it closely, the opposite picture emerges. You do get a respect, not in my, um, In my... You're right. Belongs Bond... uh, Bombadil also uh, hints at the intervention of Providence uh, on the Hobbit's part in saving... In his coming in at this... At that moment uh, to save them from Old Man Willow as well. Right? Um, Yeah. So I think that that's... uh, That seems to me pretty clear when we look at the overall pattern. Um, Again... Not that the Nazgul are doing a terrible job. They're not doing a terrible job. They do face a great deal of resistance. And I I do think it's appropriate not for us to think less of the Nazgul, but for us to think more of the Shire and Bree and the Hobbits and of Aragorn, right? And, of course, the Elves and, you know, Elbereth. But um, if we, I think it's fairly clear, and Gandalf is going to suggest this. Gandalf is himself going to refer to this later on. If we think that, like, oh, man, this should be so easy for them, right? Why are they screwing it up? We're misunderstanding. We are underestimating the resistance that they were facing and which they've been overcoming, almost overcoming, right? At least persevering through um, pretty admirably, if you find their activity admirable, right? Um, But I think they are doing the best they can do, right? But they have been thwarted again and again. By things outside their control, um so again, I think the the, the a relatively clear picture emerges um now uh uh Cory Schwab says, the near mist I find hardest to understand is Buckleberry ferry yeah well th- I mean we don't get a kind of direct intervention with that one I mean that's just timing right i mean it's it he showed up just too late to catch them at the ferry um and, uh, you know, um, one question of course is why let's, uh, let's think about that one for a second. Um, Buckleberry Ferry. I wonder you're the Nazgul, right? You've lost them. You don't know where, where they are. You know, they're around, Right. Again, that shortcut. Right. They took one of those shortcuts that they do. And so they're somewhere in the wild. You know, they're coming. You know, they're you know, which direction they're headed, you know, that they're uh, that they But you don't know exactly where they're where they are. Right. So you talk to folks like Farmer Maggot and you try to get them to, you know, think on them when they come through and stuff. Um, uh, but what's the main thing you do? Guard the bridge. Right. I think that, you know, up by the bridge was probably full of Nazgul, right? Just like the last bridge was before the Elfstone was, you know, maybe accidentally dropped on it. Um, they they go to the choke point, right? They've got to cross this river and here's this bridge, right? So JJ asks, did they even know about the ferry? And that's my question too. Uh, we know they're not big on water crossing. That's not a favorite thing of theirs. Um, would the little boat ferry that the hobbits use be... I, I I got to think that their assumption, they might might perhaps have erred, uh, maybe, in making the assumption that if they're going to cross the river, they've got to go to the bridge, right? That's also where the road goes, right? So maybe they were all cunningly, I I assume that that's where they went, right? That they were up by the bridge uh, you know, lying in wait there for Frodo and them to cross the river. They've got them, right? They can't leave the Shire, except they kind of did, right? Um, So, um, Anyway, yeah, the um, uh, the but they clearly are patrolling as well. Up And that's why they got down to Farmer Maggots, right? And that's why they do end up there, right? But they get there just too late. And Matt, I agree. Also, uh, the fog that night, right? The thick fog that night cloaking their movements and dampening all senses, including smell, uh, making them and their horses move more slowly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, conditions were not good uh, for... Uh, pursuing hobbits by night uh, on that uh, situation, at least like you know, again for their horses, who are the ones doing the seeing here. Um, yeah, so there's all kinds of uh, reasons to. Th- I, 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 I think they were probably you know had things pretty well under control, or thought that they had things pretty well under control, right in that situation. But then here. The hobbits escape on this little boat. And uh, uh, andy and again, only just in time, they look back and there's a black rider on the landing stage, right? Um, only a couple minutes behind them uh, in, in their departure there. So um, anyway, I, I think it's, when you put all this stuff together, it is in the end, I think, fairly suspicious, right? It's, it does begin to look like a conspiracy. Frodo does not feel like he is leading a charmed life, right? He does not feel that he is, he is not aware of, you know, some other power at work to protect him uh, and guide him. But when you step back and look at it, that's kind of a picture we begin to see, don't we? Um, Anyway, it's all in Boethius. Erokheb, I totally agree. So thanks for that. Now, let us... uh, let us move forward. Back to the text. Um, okay. And yeah, for was you're right that Gandalf basically told him something like that back in chapter two, right? That some other power was at work, but a Gandalf was pretty elliptical about that. And secondly, there were a lot of things that Gandalf told him that he didn't fully process, uh, until later on. Uh, that's what happens when you get hit with a whole bunch of exposition like that. All right. Um, anyway, cool. All right. Uh, let's, uh, move forward. So they just found the elf stone. That's where we got to last time at once. They went on again, they crossed the bridge in safety, hearing no sound but the water swirling against its three great arches. A mile further on, they came to a narrow ravine that led away northwards through the steep lands off, uh, to, through the steep lands on the left of the road. Here, Strider turned aside, and soon they were lost in a sombre country of dark trees winding among the feet of sullen hills. The hobbits were glad to leave the cheerless lands and the perilous road behind them, but this new country seemed threatening and unfriendly. As they went forward, the hills about them steadily rose. Here and there, upon heights and ridges, they caught glimpses of ancient walls of stone and the ruins of towers. They had an ominous look. Frodo, who was not walking, had time to gaze ahead and to think. He recalled Bilbo's account of his journey and the threatening towers on the hills north of the road in the country near the Troll's Wood, where his first serious adventure had happened. Frodo guessed that they were now in the same region and wondered if, by chance, they would pass near the spot. All right, so um, this um, this area that they travel, so they they, they they cross on the road. They stay on the road for a little bit, right, and then they head off the road again to the north. So here's Strider having passed the first dangerous choke point, right, which is unexpectedly to him clear of Nazgûl, right, who he thinks should be guarding it or would probably be guarding it, right? But they're not, and there's an elf stone there uh in the mud in the middle of the road. Um so having got having gotten clear, he's now hit in the woods again, right, so that they uh will hopefully remain concealed and not found. Uh, by the Nazgul here. Um, And uh, I love the somber country of dark trees winding among the feet of sullen hills. Um, The adjectives that are given to the landscape here, um, which seems to be, I think, a projection, right? Probably, at least in part. I'm not saying that hills can't be sullen on their own that seems i suppose possible but it seems that the the somberness of the country uh the somber country of dark trees and uh, along the feet of sullen hills right gives i think a pretty good glimpse into the hobbit's frame of mind right um the land here feels daunting right it feels even hostile um it feels sullen is really interesting, right? Like these hills are like sitting there staring at them sulkily. Um, there's this not a hostility. They don't feel like it's not like the hills are angry or um, violent or anything like that, right? No no, uh, no, stone giants are chucking rocks at them or anything of the sort. And yet, um, you know, they have this general sense of this land itself is unfriendly to us, right? Um yeah, yeah, um, and Belongspond, you're absolutely right. Frodo is in a great deal better shape uh, here than the movies portray. Right, he is not uh, uh, a sort of gasping, mostly comatose figure. Right, um, he's still in reasonably good shape. Uh, remember that he was his arm was feeling dead, and the this the the sense of deadly the deadly chill was moving down his side. But uh, when he Received the treatment right, Aragorn's treatment, especially uh, the Athalos and the singing, right, and the call of uh, a strider as we saw before. Um, uh, then, um, anyway, that that's it, it. It lessened, right? The chill uh, left his side, though it did come back later on, and he didn't say anything about it, right? Um, so um, yeah, uh, Gil through he's definitely ambulatory and conscious, right? He's able to interact with them. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
0: yeah, Mad Violinist, I agree. Uh, Tolkien does, in general, give the land, uh, he often tends to give the land a certain degree of personality, right? Um, even a sense of, sort of, attitude, right? Um, uh, uh I see uh Luke was suggesting that uh this is obviously North Dakota, <laughs> right? I see several of you uh thinking of places uh where you've uh seen land that kind of looks like this. Um yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, so now let's keep going. The hobbits were glad to leave the glad to leave the cheerless lands and perilous road, right? So the lands they've passed out of are were cheerless, right? But they've transitioned from ro- from from. from so notice that that there is a kind of progression here as they move from, um, the, you know the the lands between Bree, you know the lands around Weathertop, right between Bree and the river, um, are described as cheerless, like so they were you know they weren't happy lands, right? Um, whereas, uh, so the, given that sort of a, a negative description, right? Whereas th- this land is more. More hostile, right? Threatening and unfriendly, right? Um, It has a little more personality, certainly a more negative uh, personality, right? Um, And the hills are steadily rising around them. Here and there, upon heights and ridges, they caught glimpses of ancient walls of stone and the ruins of towers. They had an ominous look. And again, based on the maps, it's pretty clear that these ruins of towers and ancient walls of stone belong to Rudar. Um So we have this this ominous look again, how and this, of course, we've also seen we see we saw this in the landscape description of this same area uh, in The Hobbit where it describes the ruins that you can see that looked like they were made by wicked people, right? Um, the ruins have their own sense of their, sort of their own personality, their own, their own feeling there, like the landscape. Um, yeah. So uh, Frodo is thinking about Bilbo, and his description of the threatening towers on the hills north of the road, um, Frodo guesses they're in the area where the where Bilbo met the trolls, um, which Frodo calls Bilbo's first serious adventure, right? Where his first serious adventure had happened. Um, and that's an interesting recollection for Frodo at this point. First of all, again, it does show us Frodo's state. Right. Uh, Not only is he not comatose, he's able to reflect back on Bilbo's stories and do at least a little bit, I would say, maybe of um, um, uh, of sort of comparison and contrast. Right. Um, Bilbo didn't have his first serious adventure until he hit this spot. Right compare that with Frodo's experience. Frodo is having serious adventures in the Shire itself, right? I mean, he was that close to being captured by a Ringwraith, and then instead he comes across, you know, Noldor, wandering in the Shire, and is taken in by them and spends the night with the elves, right? That by itself is a pretty serious adventure, honestly, right? And then the, you know, the near escape at at the at the ferry, um, and uh the uh you know, and then of course the whole adventure in the old forest, that was a pretty serious adventure too. Uh the adventure with old man Willow and then Tom Bombadil and then the Barrow Whites, right? Frodo has had and then needless to say, the adventure, you know, Brie itself with the break in and the thieving of the ponies and everything, right? And with that was a serious adventure. Frodo's had like five, six serious adventures by the time he gets to this point. Um in context, I kind of think look at Frodo's recollection of Bilbo's experience as being, at least to some extent, wistful on Frodo's part. Right? Um, he recalls the descriptions that Bilbo wrote of the the. The towers, what is he called? The threatening towers uh, on the hills north of the road, right? He recognizes that and realizes, like, I'm in the, but this is probably near the spot of Bilbo's adventure with the trolls, right? And yet, how different, you know, is this recalling in some way like a childhood fantasy that bilbo had or that frodo had of following in bilbo's footsteps of going to see himself those places that he's heard about so many times before and now he gets here and instead of having that experience right of the shire hobbit who is now among the you know there in the trollshaws and seeing all this stuff for the first time and being like oh this is where Bilbo had a real adventure, right? Now he's like, oh, please, right? Man, I've had adventures coming out my ears up to this point uh, and of a very, very serious kind indeed, right? So um, I, it's interesting that his recollection, we don't see him explicitly comparing and contrasting, right? But clearly if he did... It would, I mean, it, it it sort of invites us to compare and contrast, and we can see how easy Bilbo's trip was in comparison. I mean, even the adventure with the trolls itself, which is kind of serious. We met three, you know, man eating trolls who did in fact come quite close to eating all the dwarves and the hobbit. Right. So it was a it was a, a close scrape with death and all that kind of thing. It was uh, it was legitimate uh, in that sense. Um, and yet, um, mild compared to most of Frodo's adventures, right? Um, the, the, uh, yes, the dwarves were popped into sacks by the trolls. Um, but, you know, Merry and Pippin were actually eaten by a tree, (laughs) right? Uh, not just, not just captured, but, uh, actually sort of eaten, right? Um. And, uh, the, um, uh, and then obviously like the, the, the Barrow, right? With the Barrow White, that was way worse than, that was a much bigger pickle, uh, than Bilbo was in even with the trolls, right? And then of course the attack on the Delander Weathertop. Frodo has seen many, many times more danger than Bilbo saw, even counting the troll adventure, which Frodo hasn't even gotten to yet, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yep, it's... Um, and again, it's interesting to me that we don't see Frodo coming to any conclusions of that kind, but don't you get the sense in that last sentence, Frodo guessed that they were now in the same region, and he wondered if by chance they would pass near the spot. It's almost like he's hoping they will, that it would be a kind of refreshment instead of being like, oh, this is where that hideous, like terrifying adventure that Bilbo described took place. Instead, it'll be like, oh, that'll be it'll be nice to like do some tourism instead of like, you know, being afraid for my life all the time. Um, Bilbo's adventure now, by contrast, seems like, again, like a, a fun outing. Uh, instead of uh, you know, compare. You know, it, it, it's, let's lighten the mood a little bit uh, from from Frodo's normal life here. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Let's keep going. Who lives in this land? He asked. And who built these towers? Is this troll country? No, said Strider. Trolls do not build. No one lives in this land. Men once dwelt here, ages ago, but none remain now. They became an evil people, as legends tell, for they fell under the shadow of Angmar, but all were destroyed in the war that brought the North Kingdom to its end. But that is now so long ago that the hills have forgotten them, though a shadow still lies on the land. "'Where did you learn such tales, if all the land is empty and forgetful?' said asked Peregrine. "'The birds and beasts do not tell tales of that sort.' The heirs of Elendil do not forget all things past, said Strider, and many more things than I can tell are remembered in Rivendell. Have you often been to Rivendell? said Frodo. I have, said Strider. I dwelt there once, and still I return when I may. There my heart is, but it is not my fate to sit in peace, even in the fair house of Elrond. Strider says no in response to his three questions, right? Uh, and it seems that he, um, it seems that he takes Frodo's question to be, um, did trolls build those towers, right? Who built these towers? Is this troll country? He seems to sort of combine these two things uh, and and uh, answers as if Frodo had asked, did trolls build those, right? Um, no. They didn't. Trolls don't build. And no one lives in this land. Um, and then he, sp- he does not use the name Rudaur, but that is who he is clearly describing, I think. Right? Um, they were destroyed in the war that brought the North Kingdom to its end. They were an evil people. They became an evil people, rather. Um yeah, and a- Emma Thorne, you're right. They do not seem to have a lot of ancient history books in the Shire, right? Um, not much is known of this kind of thing. And notice that they are surprised. Um, Pippin, anyway, or Peregrine, I should say, as he is uh, named here, um, is wondering where he learned tales like this, right? Um, the birds and beasts do not tell tales of that sort, he says. And that's an interesting thing for him to have said, right? On the one hand, I doubt that he's speaking from personal experience, right? Any more than Bungo Baggins was speaking from personal experience about dragons and their ways, right? Um, So I, I don't think, like, you know, Pippin's like, of all the stories I've heard, you know, all, all the tales I have heard birds and beasts tell, I've never heard any of them who told stories like that. I don't think so. I think that he's... um. He's referring to what he is guessing about Strider, right, who is Strider, as far as he knows, he's you know a vagabond who has wandered around in the wilderness, right, so the only source of lore he could have he's he's what he's not a he can't have had much book learning Strider right are you kidding like he's been like he's practically a recluse he lives out in the wilderness, wandering around right. That he knows a lot about finding paths in the wilderness? Quite likely, right? That he could be a good hunter? Okay, he said that he was, you know, and, and uh, that's easy to believe, right? Um, and yet, uh, that's not. this is not the kind of thing, right? What he's doing now is not the kind of thing that Pippin would have expected. So when Pippin says the birds and beasts do not tell tales of that sort, he's betraying the assumptions, I think, that he has made about Aragorn. Right. Okay, you're a guy from the wilderness. Doubtless, you know, birds and beasts really well. Right. But they didn't tell you these stories. Where did you hear them? Um, And then he. uh, Yeah, uh, Luke says it's funny that Pippin is then the one who's going to get into Arnorian history in the appendices. Yeah, it is right. Pippin's going to learn some of this lore later on. Did Ruudaur predate the first hobbits moving west of the Misty Mountains? Uh, well, predate... Yeah, I mean... The Shire is colonized um, You know, long after, obviously, the formation of the North Kingdom. And I believe after the Civil Wars, we know that the hobbits were there and sent some archers to the uh, last battle, right, at Fornost. Um, so... The Arnorian Civil War was contemporary with the, um, um, the, the hobbits, right? Here's the thing that is kind of shocking to me. Strider gives two answers to the question, where did you learn such tales, right? Um, and his response is, the heirs of Elendil do not forget all things past. And many more things are remembered in Rivendell. So the answer, which I might have expected to come first, uh, where did you learn such tales? If all the land is empty and forgetful. You know, the answer I might have expected was, did you forget about Rivendell? Right? Yeah, uh, Rivendell, doofus. Where do you where do you think I learned it? Right? Um, but that's not what he leads with. What he leads with is, um, what he leads with is, The heirs of Elendil do not forget all things past. That's a pretty heavy hint. Notice he's not explicitly saying, I'm the heir of Elendil here, right? He doesn't reveal himself completely, but it's a pretty heavy hint, right? Good. Uh, Galandar and Erekeb are looking up the dates in the appendix for me. Um, Yeah, the Shire is colonized well after the, uh, the, the split, the three-way split, uh, of, uh, Arnor into Rudaur and Cardolan and Arthodine. Um, good. Yeah. Well, Luke was just looking that up too. Uh, well after that, but still more than 300 years, almost 400 years prior to the fall of Fornost, right? Um, so, uh, they will have been around during the evil years of, uh, of Rudaur, but keep in mind, they're pretty far away, right? Um, there's no reason to think that the Shire was very tightly connected uh, to uh, uh, to the, uh, you know, the Arnorian Civil War, really. Um, From this speech, Frodo, at least, is not going to track with the fact that Strider is one of the people of the old kings, right? He's going to still be surprised when Gandalf springs that on him in Rivendell uh, in the next chapter. And that's strange, a little bit strange to me, right? I mean, after all, this kind of, uh, um, this kind of, it, it seems like a, a pretty big tell here, right? The heirs of Elendil do not forget all things past. Now, they could just be his source of information, right? Okay, so they're people of the old kings, and I learned it from them. Um, if that's what they conclude, and I can't see any other way that they interpreted that. I mean, he says the heirs of Elendil do not forget all things past in response to where did you learn such tales, right? So the only way that I think they could emerge from that comment, not understanding that he was one of the Dunedain himself, um, is that they are assuming that the the heirs of Elendil must be his source of information, which I think suggests how unkingly Strider seems to them. Right? It points to their assumptions if they have a mental, whatever their mental picture might be of the people of the old kings, it apparently does not match Strider, right? Um, And again, the very kind of profiling uh, as uh, uh, Sweet Jack was saying, that Pippin seems to be doing here, right? Uh, The assumptions that he makes about rangers, um, you know, that birds and beasts would be the source of their information. He's surprised that he has that much book learning. Um, Exactly as James... Lebeck says, as Frodo is going to say later on, I thought he was only a ranger, right? The only there is telling. And Pippin seems to be feeling the only as well, right? Um, Such that when Strider alludes to the heirs of Elendil, instead of anyone apparently saying, hey, you're one of the heirs of Elendil? That's awesome, right? They don't say that at all. Instead, their response seems to be, oh, you learned it from the heirs of Elendil, huh? Wow. surprised they would tell you right (laughs) they don't say that bit but again like obviously this is not what they would expect that to look like now um you know d schwab is asking do they know who the heirs of elendil are um frodo seems to know something of them um again as he will reveal in his conversation with gandalf right um Cecilia says, is wondering the same thing. And yeah, it is a good question. Remember, they didn't know who Gilgalad was. was. Um, so are they up on Elendil, right? Do they know anything about the people of the old kings? Um, I don't know, but uh, uh, it does seem that um, uh, Frodo clearly knows something, right? Yeah, exactly, Boomful. The, um, uh, the, the rangers... I mean, if, if if there are multiple rangers, right, they're all apparently homeless, rascally vagabonds, right? Uh, this does not uh, suggest exalted lineage, it seems to them. Um, Catriona says, didn't Aragorn largely declare who he was in Bree when Frodo got Gandalf's letter? With the all that is gold uh, poem. Um, he said his real name that he was Aragorn son of Aragorn he did come off differently he dropped the local accent right and the rascally uh uh the rascally act but he didn't explicitly identify himself as you know a numenorian or or as uh one of the people of the old kings or anything just that he was Aragorn and Gandalf's friend and then of course there was Bilbo's poem which if they you know gave a little bit of thought to, might have, uh, suggested that he was one of the people the old king, but, you know, um, apparently they didn't really process that. Um, I guess the hobbits don't pay quite enough attention to the poetry either. Yeah. Um, Matt is thinking that this sounds like a later addition to the text by Findigil, the king's writer. Um, Uh, citing especially, uh, Matt, I like that theory. I like that theory. Um, where did you learn such tales? If all the land is empty and forgetful, asked Peregrine, the birds and beasts do not tell tales of that sort. Um, Matt's argument is that the, 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 the diction there is kind of elevated and the use of Peregrine instead of Pippin, which a couple of you noticed, um, is uh, also sort of interesting, right? That Findigil the King's writer of Gondor um, might have inserted this, right? And you can tell his tone, right? Uh, which is not like Frodo's. And also, the, the, the naming of him as Peregrine is a giveaway, right? Because, of course, Findigil the King's writer wouldn't call him Pippin. Um, so,. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, and the heirs of Elendil do not forget all things past. So, you know, the idea that he's writing, Findegil, King's writer, is writing back the the revelation of the kingliness of Aragorn for those who have eyes to see, right all the way back through. Seems plausible. Seems plausible. Um, but um, but anyway, I agree um, that even if we don't think about exactly the it's a Gondorian retcon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even if we don't think about it that way, that's, you know, of course that I, I really like that theory and I think that works really well. Um, but again, even just thinking about this in the context of everything that we know here, um, is, uh, you know, it's, we can see why it's all about their presumptions, right? Um, it's all about the assumptions they make, uh, you know, not processing all that is gold does not glitter, right? Um, yeah, as Galandar says, not sure what exactly the Hobbit concept of a king of men would be at this point, but it certainly would not be anything like Strider. Yeah, remember Butterbur's surprise, right? Um, exactly, exactly. Um Fredo asks us if he's often been to Rivendell. I have, I dwelt there once, and still I return when I may, there my heart is, but it is not my fate to sit in peace even in the fair house of Elrond. Um There my heart is. We have the first overt, well semi overt reference. Right? Um, It's cute. Very indirect. Right? Um, My question is not what he's referring to. I think I get that. But why he says it? Once again, we can see this pattern that we've seen before with Strider. Right? Um, Doing this weird combination of neither reviewing very much, nor actually saying anything, right? He's still playing things really close to the vest, and yet he's not saying nothing. Um, you know, if um uh, Strider, if you want to give them no clear information about your love life, that end would be better served by saying nothing <laughs> at all, rather than dropping hints, right? And instead he drops hints. Um Uh you know, there my heart is okay. All right. Um uh, Why does he say that? Cuz he's trying to convey to them I'm not just so he gives them two reasons to think that he is not only casually connected with Rivendell. Right? Have I often been to Have I often been to Rivendell? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now I know where it is, right? Um uh he gives two pieces of information to suggest his much more intimate connection with Rivendell. Right. I used to live there. Right. First. Secondly, there my heart is right. I used to live there and I'm still closely connected to it. Right. I wish I could stay there all the time. I still visit whenever I can. And I wish I could retire there permanently. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> says a bunch of strange hobbits are probably not the best people to pour your heart out to, but his options are limited at the moment. Right. I really uh, uh I really like uh the um uh, I like the observation Valori was saying he, he hasn't really talked to other people in a while, right? Um Uh yeah, maybe. Uh, Maybe this is, you know, there is an impulse that he has here to share, right? Um, That this is him kind of reciprocating trust to some extent. I mean, remember, the trust has been kind of going one way in a sense, right? He's had to ask them to trust him. They've had to put a great deal of trust in him. And he's not just, they're not equal, right? There's, There's not the same kind of... He can't show them trust back. Maybe this is kind of a small gesture in that direction. Perhaps. Um. Yeah, yeah. Um. But it certainly. It is kind of encouraging, right? Encouraging in the sense that because you know. Have you often been to Rivendell? <laughs> One way, possibly, to paraphrase that question is, you do really know where you're going, don't you? You are going to be able to find this place, right? Um, and his response is kind of encouraging along those lines, right? Oh, yeah, hey, I am all about Rivendell, right? Um, I, am, I am absolutely yeah oh not only do i visit frequently i used to live there i still think about it all the time right i go back and visit whenever i can you know that's um that's uh very you know kind of encouraging if that's what they're asking i don't think that that's all that's behind frodo's question i don't think he's just saying like you know dude are you leading us in a circle or what um yeah yeah um it's good. Oh, hey, I see Ugly Bob p- popping in to say hi here. Thanks, Ugly Bob. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I agree, e- evil Dr. Cannon, the context here is of his lore, not his ability to find it. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's not that I think that that's really, like, the edge of, of, uh, of Frodo's question, right? But um. um but again, it, even the lore thing is a similar kind of, has a similar kind of edge, right? D- do you really know what you're talking about, right? Like, it, you know, have you taken, you know, d- have you just had uh, a couple lessons, like, have you visited Rivendell once and heard somebody tell us, is this just like something you heard once in a bar at Rivendell or like, is, you know, have you been there often enough to be, like, have you been instructed by Elrond, you know, have you taken the full master's degree course, you know, at Rivendell or what? Um, yeah. I, I don't know evil Dr. Cannon if, if they're sort of suspecting him of making it up, but again, like how, I don't know. How legit. Are you, you know, is, is again, and and they're trying to figure sort of him out. And again, he's, he's, um, he responds by sort of telling them like, no, I'm, I'm really, I am like hardcore. I'm a matriculated student, right? Absolutely. I am all into, um, uh, to Rivendell, right? Um, you can trust the things that I tell you. And oh, by the way, you know, I, I know my way there, um, Yeah, yeah. Um. Mm. Hmm. Sorry, I'm pausing here to think about Tom's question. Tom says, There my heart is, is very interesting. Gandalf says that the way of the ring to my heart is pity. Goadriel says... Uh, that she does not deny that my heart has greatly desired to ask what you offer. Does Aragorn's love of Arwen help defend him against the ring? Um, both Gandalf's heart and Goadriel's heart might, in some circumstances, incline them to take up the ring, right? Aragorn's heart is secure because uh, his heart is at Rivendell, right? He, he is not currently in custody of his own heart. Um, It's interesting. yeah. uh, Tom, of course, that makes me want to kind of look up where is that phrase used elsewhere and how. Um, What kind of trends can we see in how people talk about their hearts uh, in this kind of presumably metaphorical way? I don't think that Aragorn's heart has actually been extracted and is in a phylactery at Rivendell, right? So this is plainly metaphorical language that he's using. Uh, And, uh, but so that same kind of metaphorical language would be, uh, would be interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The mad violinist is recalling Gandalf saying, my heart tells me that Gollum will have some part to play before the end. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, anyway, worth looking into more time. I think it'd be cool. Um, let's see. What else was I going to say here? Um, does point out that Strider still underplays his time at Rivendell, right? He does reassure them that he, um, knows Rivendell well, right? I dwelt there once. But Catriona points out there's a pretty big difference between I dwelt there once and I grew up there, right? Which did, as she points out. Yes. Though, Catriona, I think that that might be as much as to sort of emphasize how far distant he is removed from his childhood there, right? Um, uh, you know, I, I grew up in rural West Virginia, but um, But, you know, I've, you know, when I was in middle school, my parents moved to New Hampshire. So um, I would look back and say, like, it's not quite, doesn't quite convey things to say, like, I I, I once lived in West Virginia. Like, those were important, formative years of my life. And yet I've had a lot of living since then, right? None of which has involved rural West Virginia. So, um, you know, he has lived away from Rivendell far longer than he was there, even though he did spend some very formative years there. Um, and his heart is now there again. Right. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, and Hey, yeah, nothing to, Oh, Wheel Rider grew up in Charleston, West Virginia. Yeah. I uh, grew up down near Hinton, West Virginia, down the uh, Summers County. Um, but uh, and Gilgir, I've I've been back to West Virginia I, twice, twice I visited. Um, but um, anyway, that was fun, actually. But uh, but yeah, anyway, so he's I, I again, I, it's sort of distant from him. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Evil Dr. Cannon, I do think, again, you know, we do see this impulse to speak elliptically, right? He's not he's not given in too much. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Oakwig says if I'd stayed in West Virginia, I'd never want for moonshine. You know, Oakwig, I do have to admit, uh, I, I think of that every time I get to that line. Uh, I'm reading the fellowship of the ring with my sons. We're listening to it in the car now. Uh, and, uh, we just, got that passage. We just finished chapter one this morning. Uh, so we just got to the passage about you'll never, you know, if that's where you get your news from, you'll never want for moonshine, uh, uh, in the beginning of chapter two. Uh, and I, it always makes me think of West Virginia when I hear that line. Um, yeah, cool. Um, but it is not my fate to sit in peace, even in the fair house of Elrond. Notice what he's suggesting here, right? Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, I saw Carina's comment. said she once named a beloved stuffed horse Moonshine, and all the adults laughed and she was confused. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those words that you just can't predict, right? Uh, as a kid. Uh, anyway, except I, as a kid in West Virginia, learned what it meant, uh, uh, as part of like routine, uh, safety concerns, uh, because, uh, I, you know, wandering in the woods in the mountains near where we lived, I had to be on the lookout not to stumble upon somebody's closely guarded still. Uh, but anyway, um, but that last comment by Strider, it is not my fate to sit in peace even in the fair house of Elrond, right? Um, again he's being a bit elliptical right he's he's not being clear about his job but again notice what he's doing there it seems to me in part what that does is provide a little context for them to understand right so again clearly they're profiling him right remember he he elicited that he you know he plays up to that in brie right Um, So he's introduced to them as Strider, and he's acting up as Strider, the ranger, who probably doesn't know anything more than birds and beasts, right? Um, And now he's explaining a little bit more. But so notice what he's he's explaining. A, here is where my lore came from, right, from Rivendell. And yeah, I've been there. I used to live there, right. My heart is still is still there. But um, it is not my fate to sit in peace. Even in the fair house of Elrond, right? I have a fate which has driven me out of... So there's a reason I wander. There's a reason I look as shabby as I do, right? There's a reason that I wander, and it's not just because I'm a vagabond by nature, right? Or even by choice. Um, What I'm doing, there's more to it than that, right? Um... And for Thomas, I think it means that he cannot long dwell there in peace. Uh, It is not my fate to sit in peace, meaning to hang out, right? Like, I don't live there anymore. It's not like I was kicked out or anything, right? But rather because I have chosen, like, I am doing what I am doing for a reason, right? It is my fate, to do what I am doing um, so don't think that just because I look like a vagabond wandering around just because I look like this shabby ranger that that you know don't, don't make too many rash assumptions about that I'm doing this for a reason right um, at first it just looked like maybe a disguise now he's suggesting no there's purpose to it right and yet here is I'm giving you glimpses anyway of the whole package Right? Uh, I used to live in Rivendell. My heart is still in Rivendell. It is not my fate to sit in peace in Rivendell. And I learned these tales from the heirs of Elendil who don't forget all things past. Right? Now, but then he leaves them to put all that together, which they don't. Right? Um, which is fine. Um, interesting. De Schwab is thinking that he's insecure, which is possible. You could do a reading of an imma- uh, not i almost said immature which would be strange but an, of an insecure strider who is unsure of himself who is unsure if he will fulfill the prophecy right um so uh you know that he has hope but you know doubts we know that he doubts himself in some sense right um you know he's not Uh, he's not Isildur, right? He's not uh, uh, as great as his fathers before him. Um, He is very conscious of the fact that he screws up. We've seen him already chiding himself, like coming to Weathertop was a bonehead move, right? He shouldn't have done that. Um, But... uh, Yeah, now, a couple of you, Cecilia and Belongsmond, are are, are thinking about uh, the film version, right, of the, like, insecure Aragorn. Um, And I think, though, there's a difference there. I I think there's a difference between the film Aragorn uh, and what uh, D. Schwab is suggesting here. Uh, The film Aragorn is not just insecure, but has like positively decided not to pursue kingship, right? You know that's a that's a career path he's turned away from uh, actively, right? Um, and I don't, um, I don't think that that's. I mean, obviously, nothing like that has happened. Um, he has not rejected his heritage, which he's done in the films. And I, I think, and I'm forgetting who said it now. We were talking about this at L.A. Moot this past weekend. Um, Blanksman, do you remember who said this? Uh, talking about, was it, I, I think it was in the, uh, was it Cliff in the OneRing.net presentation? Talking about Aragorn and how Aragorn, oh no, no, it was Morgan in, in the King Arthur one. Um, we was talking about this trend in modern, depictions about m- how modern films are so... Uh, yeah, belongs to me. I'm right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Morgan Sewell, who gave a really great talk about uh, Arthurian adaptations of the 20th century, uh, and was talking about how one of these major trends in King Arthur uh, uh, versions, uh, 20th century uh, King Arthur stories, is about the rejection of power. Like, that, that modern cinema is super uneasy with the idea of somebody reaching out and taking power right um or, or worse seeking it right um that if you want a character to be sympathetic um you've got to have him like pushing power away right um and uh Morgan puts up a slide of Vigo Mortensen and 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 gives that as an example there um yeah yeah exactly uh, and Matt's making the distinction between the uh um The film version's rejection of power and the book version's, uh, you know, if there is insecurity, it's insecurity born out of him being hard on himself, right? Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Arden Cran is asking if Aragorn had some prophecy that he specifically would be called on to restore the kingdom. No, um, it's just uh, there's the hope that it will happen, the restoration of the kingdom, um, and the sense that... uh, Elrond has made a kind of prophecy um, that uh, the when the ring is found, it's all gonna kind of come down, right? Uh, that the kingdom won't be restored until Isildur's bane is is found, and there's been sort of a chance to... Uh, yeah, and we do get the uh, Malbeth the Seer uh, lines, which, is, which are pretty cryptic and kind of indirect, but they do suggest that it's gonna... But it's not like uh, prophecy about him... Specifically, exactly, right? This precisely. Um, but anyway, there is some general, you know, s- some sense that this is meant to happen, that now is the time when this must be done, right? His fate, right? I think his fate does lie on him heavily. He knows. Um, either, and we can hear this in things that Elrond says and in things that Arwen says, both in the appendices, right? If you read the Appendix A story of uh Aragorn and Arwen as we will eventually um you can see that there there is this sense of like okay like fate is coming like now is the time right either we will all either we will live or we will all fall into terrible darkness either the kingdom's going to be restored or it's going to or the last hope is going to crumble and it's kind of on him right not single-handedly on him but you know he uh i think it's clear to him by this point, now that the ring has been found, it's pretty clear to him that, okay, this this is totally happening in my lifetime. Right? Um, If the kingdom is going to be restored, shoot, I guess I'm the one who's going to have to do it. Right? I do think that Aragorn has had that moment. And as I suggested before, I think that's one reason, one small reason, at least, why he wants to go to Weathertop. Right to walk in the footsteps of the footsteps of Elendil to stand where Elendil stood looking out for Gilgalad because he knows like this. Okay, it's on now. Right, the Ring of Power is here. I've st- I've now started just as Elendil and Gilgalad from here from Weathertop right from amon Sul started off together on their long trek that led to the you know the the the, the battle at Dagorlad and the overthrow of Sauron. So I'm doing the same thing right um so i think he has that sense uh, again it's not that like he personally was prophesied but rather i think he knows that there are prophecies and there are responsibilities and he knows now that if it's going to happen it's going to be him right and it's on him to do that um yeah yeah um yeah yeah um yeah. Well, trifle, I agree. Um I, but I well we'll get to these passages and talk about them more when we do. I would argue that Evorwin and Elrond's words both are of of the kind that I was just describing, that is that sense of like um now it is it is in like this is happening in your lifetime. Like in the lifetime of this person this is going to come about, right? Um so it's not exactly meaning like, and you're the destined one to fulfill the prophecy. It's not the same. It's not the same force as that. It's again that sense of like, this needs to happen, right? Uh, there will come a time when this will come to a crisis, and then the specific things about him are like, uh, I got the sense that it's now, right? It's going to happen in this kid's lifetime. Um, that is how I understand, certainly Elrond's words. But like I said, we'll get we'll get around to the, those actual. Uh, those actual passages later on. Let's see. You think you disagree? Well, we'll see, Trifle. I, again, maybe I'll change my mind by the time we get there. Uh, but uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, 2030. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and i and i agree i can it is important i think to imagine how daunting it must be to aragorn um uh to 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 think about this happening in his lifetime absolutely um and th- any doubt that he feels any um uneasiness any um uh, insecurity as we described would seem readily explicable by that, right? He knows the significance of the task that lies before him. Is he up to it or not, right? You know, uh, I think he has his doubts about that. There are certainly moments when he has his doubts or at least wonders if he's falling short, right? All right. Well, I didn't mean to talk about that for so long. Let's do one more Okay, I'm in the middle of saying, let's do one more quickly, and then I'm like, oh, this is a really long one. That's okay. It's all description. No, that's not. <laughs> this is about Frodo's dreams. No, this is not going to be quick. Let's save this one. Let's save this one for next week. We'll start with the invasion of Frodo's dreams. Because, yeah, exactly, Tarlonio. I'd almost forgotten. I, I just kind of glanced down, and I'm like, oh, it's mostly description. We're f- no, we can't talk about dreams quickly. Okay, <laughs> so we'll come back to that next week. Thanks, everybody, uh, for another fun discussion tonight. We're going to do our field trip now uh, where we're going to be going through this same uh, land. We're going to look at the, la- the, the, the depiction of the last bridge. Uh, in Lotro, and then we're going to start looking uh, we're going to cross into this uh, sullen, unfriendly landscape uh, and look about us here uh, and uh, see what we can find. So I'm going to switch over uh, to uh, I'm going to turn off Twitter and switch over to Twitch now. Thanks everybody for uh, joining us there. Feel free to join us at twitch.tv slash signum you and I'll see you guys. All right. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. All right. Okay, let's see. And Trifle is asking, say, a question about the field trip. Um, What level would I suggest to come along? So we're on Crick Hollow tonight. Um, You're level 25. Will you die painfully if you try to come along? If you're 25, we, we, we can probably keep people alive, right?
1: As long as we are also watching for deer, because the deer start to aggro when we get to the troll shots.
0: Well, you can't ever trust those deer. I mean, yeah, you, that's a static. I don't know.
1: Did you see the clip that we put up of the Girls of Myth Guard thing that we did? Oh, the site? moose
0: thing? Oh, I yeah, love so thing. hard. Oh, my goodness. That was yeah. incredible.
1: Let me never take for granted aggressive. Oh, uh, just wildlife like the. Again.
0: the, the like, the massacre, right? is this moose comes <laughs> leaping over and then just starts tossing hobbits here and there. It was none of it saw us coming. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Um, okay, so we're stick not going to stick plan. to the road for Dauntless, but we should. I, I think that the the level difference will probably not be so great that they'll get like insta killed. If we, uh, uh, I think we can probably protect them.
1: Probably your mileage may vary.
0: <laughs> exactly exactly yeah
1: alright so uh, should we head on up there
0: ok yes
1: so uh, were we doing Oscar and then riding out
0: Uh, yes, let's do Oscar Ruth and then ride from there. That makes more sense.
1: Yeah, the more I'm looking at what Strider's saying when he's saying these things, like, my heart lies there or something like that, I I get the feeling he's just been out in the wild by himself talking to himself for so (laughs) long that he just can't turn it off. I've seen so many Aragorn lines where I just imagine him pausing and going, did I say that out loud?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, you know, I wonder. I mean, I wonder how much time... He really does spend alone. Um, you know, it's possible that he spends quite a bit of time alone. Um, uh-huh. But, uh, but I wonder. You know, I wonder if he kind of comes to that uh, to that kind of point. I mean, we just saw him at Brie. Now, of course, he's not like. Hanging out with folks, that we we know that he does, right? Remember mm-hmm. Butterbur saying that you know, not but what he can tell a rare tale when he has a mind. Like sometimes he joins the company, and oh, you're
1: right. I've, yeah, I forgot out. the bit. He's just hanging out in the inn for forever.
0: Right, but again, you clearly don't get the sense that he's. I mean, it's not like you know they greet him like Norm at Cheers when he comes into the Prancing Pony, right? So I mean,
1: <laughs> Agar!
0: It's, it's it's not that kind of relationship uh, that he has. Um, but um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. It doesn't feel quite right to me, but I, I have nothing to really point to. That is, it doesn't feel quite right to me that Aragorn would be, like, actively... Um, uh, actively pining, like, or, you know, like, sort of starved for human contact. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Blue Wizard was just saying in the Twitch chat that... uh choice found B- bill ferney's line about him finally finding a friend uh to be closer to the mark than he realizes um
1: yeah yeah <laughs> that's true greetings
0: it's true um found some friends at last now of course it's,
1: yeah uh, erica yeah. makes a good point he's he's he wears so many different masks and different titles and stuff like that
0: yeah yeah
1: his ass straddle stride i'll throw and go
0: yeah, it's true. And uh so I mean actually to even though he's only hinting indirectly, right? Um, about you know, there his heart lies. Um again that's not exactly a revealing statement that he made fully. Yeah,
1: no, he's vague booking.
0: Uh right. But yet nevertheless, um I agree with Aerocab, that is he's not playing a role there, right? Yeah. You know, there he's speaking not as Strider, the rascally ranger, right? There he's not even speaking as like Aragorn, son of Arathorn, you know, chieftain of the Dúnedain necessarily. There he's just like speaking as a guy.
1: Right? And, and, and There's a bit of pride to that too. It's kind of like, come on, come on, ask me about my girlfriend. Come on, let me tell me. i this <laughs> right, really have both right. of
0: I just kind of threw that out there to see if you're interested, you know, if we can have that no, kind of... Nobody's ready for talking that conversation about uh,
1: yet. girls. Okay,
0: fine. Okay. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and all the hobbits are like, whoop, no, we've actually... Done. Sam's the only one who's ever had a girlfriend, uh, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Well... um, So... Yeah. Now, <laughs> I agree uh, that you know, Bill Ferney doesn't know anything, right? You know, this is... But still, the fact that Bill Fernie chooses that to taunt him about is kind of revealing, right?
1: Yeah. Well, remember, he's been, Aragorn's been watching the inn and Fernie's been watching him the whole time.
0: <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, um, you know, that Bill Fernie would choose that particular taunt. I guess we can we can go, right? Yeah, so yeah, I think so. Um, uh, yeah, you could
1: just... See Strider internalizing that for a minute and self-doubt again, going, I've, you know, I've, I've adopted so many manners. I don't know how to impersonate me. You know? <laughs> right.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Katriana, that's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's just wondering about, um, The girlfriend status of uh, The Four Hobbits. Yes, Frodo is a confirmed Bator, like Bilbo Mm -hmm. before him. Uh, Are Merry and Pippin a bit young for girls?
1: We don't know that. We don't don't know that. Hey, you know, it's like, I got middle schoolers. That's been going on for, you know, depending on the kid. It depends on the kid.
0: It depends on the kid. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, Pippin still might be in his ew, girl's phase. We don't know. (laughs) It it doesn't come up.
0: It really doesn't. Um, Yeah, and although, you know, it's one thing to say that Pippin's the equivalent of 17 in the sense that he's underage. But, like, what does even underage mean? Like,
1: Yeah, we we don't know how their pituitary glands act. We don't know any of that.
0: The fact that hobbits come of age at thirty three means that that's when they're that's when they're legally responsible, yeah. right? Like that's
1: when they can vote for the one candidate for mayor, and
0: <laughs> right that's when been, they can own you know, land, own and inherit land, property own land, and things like that. Land, yeah. Yeah.
1: Property, unless they're a woman or poor,
0: right? I'm well, assuming.
1: I don't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Actually, no. Yeah, women can inherit. Created any delicate? Yeah, no.
0: Women can inherit. Uh, women can even have authority. They can be they can be in charge. Like like Lobelia yeah. would have been the yeah. Baggins, no, it's a so much
1: thing. more egalitarian society than I'm painting.
0: Yeah, but no, but still, it's it's um. But yeah, the, the, this doesn't necessarily tell us anything about their like psychological maturity or anything.
1: No, it's for um, all, we know, they might even do it at the same speed as as we do. It's just they're considered not old enough to know their own mind.
0: Right. I mean, the, the the hobbits and their tweens are called irresponsible. Uh, but, of course, that's an accusation that's been leveled at uh, 20-year-old humans before, too.
1: <laughs> <You> <laughs> 30-year-olds <know>? these days. <laughs> exactly. You exactly. just watch it. Millennials are killing blank. Those are all 30-year-olds.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. Matt is suggesting that the, the irresponsible age is sort of akin to uh people's time at university, you know. Oh um, yeah,
1: yeah. It's the 20s man child phase of, you know, I'm I'm finally on my own. I'm going to buy a ton of anime.
0: Right. Right. Or, or that's a and that's a fairly constructive way to misbehave in your college years. Um anyway. It's
1: great you can't afford drugs.
0: <laughs> I suppose that's one way to keep yourself out of trouble. Um anyhow, um let's um Let's look at the bridge. So here we are at the bridge. Um, I really... One of the things that I really admire about this... uh, First of all, it has like what looks like a sidewalk, except it doesn't because it dead ends into a a pole over there. Um, Yeah. But whatever. That's not what I meant to say. What I really admire about this is the river, right? Um, Oh, yeah. It's not... It doesn't describe... Like, the book doesn't describe the river as, like, running in a gorge. Um, But it... But what it does... Sort of suggest here is we know the scale problem, right? Um, yes. The scale problem in Lotro is, you know, it's hard to convey the sense of distance because the game is, I don't remember exactly, it's like one tenth scale or something like that. So um, distances pass really quickly, and so it's hard to get the same impression that the book gives you. Um, remember what Aragorn says about the river here is that it's impassable except by the bridge for for a
1: long way on so either we're, side. Like, we're thinking this is something probably like the size of the Illinois River or something like that. Just this big old wide mass of water kind of thing then.
0: Right. Except here we see it's like pretty narrow, right? Or at least looks narrow here. And of course, in LOTRO you can swim most places. So swimming across this river is actually not hard, Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so again how do they you know knowing that by scale they can't make the river look super impassable or else it's going to be the equivalent of like eight miles across um, and it's hard for them to make it genuinely impassable um, they do create that impression i think by having these like steep gorges on either side like when you look north and south of the river here it does look like okay, yes, like you, you know you can't just hop from one side of that river to another, like this is the only convenient place to cross here um and then of course, by having showing the water rushing beneath uh the arches, they're not only picking up on the actual description that we just read tonight about those three arches, right-, mm-hmm. um which is we can see if we can we can actually get it a little
1: better down yeah down to the side, side here, I think. here. Um,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, to see the.
1: Yep, three arches. Hey, look at that.
0: And the the water foaming right up against them. Um
1: Yeah, no, the symbol on them.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I was going to be looking at that next. Oh, um Sorry. Yeah, I know, but absolutely. All right, so we see them picking up on the description and so, so it, this looks like a fast running river and a you know, when again when you're standing here and you're looking at it, you can see the you know, the walls of the gorge on the other side and uh, how violently and swiftly the river is flowing. It gives you the impression of a river that you would really need the bridge to cross even though yeah, of you, course, you, like
1: you it, don't want to cross it with that, you know? <laughs> right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yes, anyway, looking at the river at the bridge, we clearly have the Arnorian signs on the bridge. Um, I was going to say that it looks like an Arthodanian bridge, but my suspicion, of course, would be that it would predate that. Right, this was probably yep. an Arnorian bridge before the Civil Wars began. Uh, so it has no symbols other than the scepter of Anuminous and the stars.
1: The, do you remember where we saw the haphazard uh, concrete and rock formation?
0: In Garth Garwin, you mean? Yep. Yes.
1: Okay. Yep, that's exactly right. Also, the, the, the filigree on the handrails, which I must point out, I think these might be the first handrails I've seen anywhere in Middle-earth.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, something is... we
1: always joke about <laughs> with elf, right. elven civilizations. They just don't like it. Yeah, don't these look a bit like our porticullis Like Like
0: the porticullises, right? yeah. Yeah, I agree. Which suggests then that not only was Gartha Garwin built up in stages, um, you know, as a defensive fortification from without, but that there are elements of it anyway which were from old Arnor, right? Uh-huh. Prior to the time of the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I wish more of the Rivendell bridges had uh, guardrails like this, honestly. <laughs> I yeah, would, I always used to that joke that's like,
1: uh, yeah, the the soothing sounds of the rushing water and the beautiful background music and the crack of breaking ankles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah, well, so um, Catriana uh, so Katriana's saying she's thought for a while that many of the Rudaran ruins were originally just Arnorian uh, uh, constructions that Rudar took over and redecorated. Yes, in some cases, I think that might be the case. But remember, oh, yeah. that what we're seeing there is the decay of uh, the the decay of their civilization, right? I mean, they they don't just take over Arnorian structures; they were making Arnorian structures. They were Arnorian themselves, right? And I think that uh-huh. even the sense of old Rudaur, right, old Rudaur, as you know, having been a subset of of, uh, of Arnor, you know, the sense that those three were like three major houses uh, within um, within Arnor, which then you know uh, claimed uh, the kingship and and uh, split apart. Um, so so yeah, I mean, but of course, as time goes by, they become more and more evil. These are the hugest versions of those vine. Yeah. Decorations we have ever seen. I think
1: they were also around the arcs with, for the portcullis in Garwin. We we saw there were vine details almost this big.
0: Okay, so one of the things that I let me go on the corner
1: here. Oh, there's the there's the benevolent good PR king. The Who? The statue, the statue up there. It's the it's the the good side uh, oh. king statues that we saw in Rudar's palace, right? Or presumably.
0: Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, wait. Hang on. This is just what I wanted to see. The full, gigantic version of those vine carvings. Okay. Still,
1: We still don't know what those vines signify, do
0: we? No, we don't. We've seen them all over the place, and we don't know what they signify. But here, at least, we can see them clearly. They're so small... Elsewhere, like for instance, with some of them and when we've seen them before, I wasn't even sure whether they were leaves or like thorns like they it was it was a little unclear now they're you can see they're obviously weaves, right that's very <laughs> clear, and I wasn't even sure in counting them, but now we can clearly count them. there are 7. is that a
1: ninth
0: the one that's like just to the like by the top railing there. Off to the right of the, uh,
1: I think that's a branch off.
0: Well, actually, if you look at the one on the left, the symmetrical one to the left, I yes, think it's a little bit more leafish. Yes, that would make nine, which is a little bit—at least—that's a like sensible Numenorian number, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so if there are nine leaves, then I suspect that this branch is meant to suggest, yes, I think that this mm-hmm. branch is meant to su- symbolize the family of Elendil. Ah. That's my theory. Family of Elendil. Okay. Because, right. notice two things, right? Two th- number one is that they have the nine leaves. Which would signify the nine ships that bore them across from Numenor, right? And then you've got the branches of this vine, right? The stem of the vine, which splits off, right? There are these two offshoots of the main Uh vine, Uh which would then be Isildur and Anarion, right? Yes. So I'm thinking... Seeing it more clearly here, I think that that's probably what it is. I think that that's meant... So, like, the scepter is meant to depict more sort of abstractly the authority of the realm of Arnor, right? And of the yes. Numenorians in general. Whereas the vines are more personal, right? Representing, like, the family and the family history, as it were, of Elendil's family,
1: it's
0: almost like Tree of Jesse kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's the Tree of Elendil. Well, sort of tree, <laughs> vine, but whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, that's that works, right. I think. Aha, Eruheb, that, there you go. See, I like that. Eruheb thinks it's uh, Oyolaire, the uh, evergreen branch that the Numenorians put on their ships. For Unin's protection, yeah. um, I like that. Well, Erecab, that would seem to me to sort of cement that reading, right? I mean, if uh, yeah. certainly the connection between this branch and the um, and the you know again the the setting sail, right? The those who sailed from Numenor there, the nine ships, right? Um, uh, and Inglor, the fact that the vine splits at both ends, that. Is what to me suggests the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? So you've okay. got like the whole, you've got the one thread, right? Each, uh, the 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 you know, the branch of Oyelare, um, if that's, that's what this is, and and Eric I totally agree that that's the likeliest interpretation. Where else, uh, do we see sort of vine imagery like this, right? Um, that's true. yeah, anyway, so but that it's splitting at both ends. Would then show how you've got like the descendants of Anarion down there and the descendants of Isildur up there, right, north and south. Um, now, yeah, it's not a all... sorry, sorry, go ahead.
1: Uh, Fort Dauntless makes a good point, and that was the point I was about to bring up, too. These don't look like evergreen. Well, I mean, no, I mean, it, they don't unless look unless like you, Unless you interpret it as a plant that doesn't die in the exactly. winter. but it's like Holly. certainly not a coniferous. It's, not a, it's no, not a coniferous. No, it's a deciduous. No dagger.
0: <laughs> right. No, th- th- it would have leaves like holly. I mean, all, all that we know is that Oyelare didn't uh, wither. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, Ivy?
1: Some kind
0: of ivy. Some kind of ivy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah.
1: Holly and the ivy stuck in my head again. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's too soon.
0: <laughs> yeah. Too soon. It's not even Halloween yet. Um, mm. So, yeah. No, I like that. I like that. Yeah, the split north and south. Now, I'm saying north and south because this is up and down. Of course, very often we've seen them horizontal, but yeah, still, yeah, we mostly see them horizontal. The it's totally, yeah. it's totally fine. It works either way. Uh-huh. All right. No, I think we've finally, finally, with the help of this giant-sized carving here, solved what has been an enduring problem in our archaeology <laughs> uh, to this point. Okay.
1: Yay! Fall leaves! Fall leaves!
0: Yes. Yes, we're all autumnal over here. Okay, so we've got a couple elves hanging out. And I'm trying to...
1: My friend Barakan keeps a cat. Yes, yes. I'm
0: trying to look at their shirts.
1: Oh, it's that, uh generic green tabard I've seen.
0: You have got some heraldry here. There
1: is heraldry.
0: It's a shield. It's a quartered this. shield.
1: Is that a bow in the middle?
0: Is that a... What is that on the top right? Is that a... A chicken? Um, <laughs>
1: is, <laughs> it's, it's commemorating your chicken run to a partridge? Uh,
0: What? Uh, a partridge? I can't really What's on the tell. bottom left? A a squirrel? I can't. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's 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 a boat. It's a boat and a seagull. There we go. <laughs> uh,
0: that would work, I guess.
1: Not on a green background, though. No idea. Yeah, I can't really get a look at the way.
0: To see, maybe I, when we get to. I feel
1: improper like examining her this closely.
0: Yeah, honestly. I know. I, I feel like I'm examining. I'm like uh, invading. Let's let's see if we see here. anyone
1: who's standing up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah.
0: I can't crouch down and get on her level, unfortunately, which makes it more awkward.
1: Not with the camera, anyway.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it came
1: out wrong. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, I know it's kind of awkward, right? It's like it's not like yeah. I'm staring at your chest. I'm just just staring at your chest, trying to figure out what. No,
1: ma'am, it's work. for academic purposes. It's right? Only. Exactly.
0: No, <laughs> yeah. I'm not being creepy or anything. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Uh but hey it's 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 not really any different from when like Griffith is being attacked by an orc and I'm like, Oh if you look at the design on his loincloth you can see Brah yeah. uh, <laughs>
1: yes,
0: <I saw> <laughs> anyway, okay. Alright, so the autumnal colors here in the troll shells yeah. are designed to mirror the just to, like the calendar of the fellowship, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Yes, because it's fall when we get here, so yeah, it's fall here. Yes. So I'm just looking for signs of sullenness.
1: Doesn't seem sullen. Seems nice.
0: Well, the foliage is rather cheerful, admittedly. Yeah, it
1: is. Then the ground too. The ground.
0: It's like you're walking
1: through a park.
0: Yeah. Notice that, um, you know, Strider doesn't immediately go off the road. Right. Um, Uh so, uh, they make it, you know, like the road is, like if you try to go off the road, there's like not exactly a cliff, but kind of a cliff.
1: Sheer drop. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and then these rocks over (laughs) here. So like, you know, you kind of have to, you almost have to follow the, the road. Uh, Te- Tekovic is pointing out that uh, it's um, the uh, sullen part is to the north of the road which is true.
1: Yes. And
0: then, yeah. then
1: the, you the, south,
0: of- the so- so- south is much more cheerful down here. So there's a gorge right? So we're looking for a gorge which is where they went. Do
1: you remember which side of the road they said it was on?
0: North. Yeah, they went north.
1: North. So what I'm not. This is right going here. To do, but yeah. 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 It's
0: again. We have a drop here. It's okay. I want to look around. What do I? What do I see over there? I huh uh huh. I thought I got a glimpse of ruin. <laughs> All right. So what have we here?
1: Quite a few out here.
0: A random pillar. That is random. What was there? Who erected a pillar here? Wow! Oh. oh, I forgot about how everything has a quest ring on top of it in the troll shells. Um, here's another one. Oh, well, this
1: is where we have our camp out with Bingo, I think.
0: Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. We see Rudaran marks. Ah, uh, now one thing to look out for, and I'm forgetting, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name again. <laughs> I always do this. I shouldn't. I should be more scrupulous about this, but uh on the discussion board somebody was asking questions about the Rudaran symbol. it was a field trip related observation. Um, and that there are so the, the forest symbol, like the sort of that sort of crown symbol, um, is uh uh in some places, he was saying you can see that it doesn't... Uh, what he was interested in was this sort of blob that's underneath the trees, right, in the symbol of Rudar. Um, and he was pointing out, of course, which is very visible, and we were noticing over in Gartha Garwin, all of those colored, those nice new colored banners that the Koyanth have um, clearly oh, yeah. show that red, right, so that you have yeah. the forest with the red land underneath it. Um but his question was if perhaps what we're seeing there is a corrupted version of the Rudaran symbol, just as the land itself has been corrupted. Which corruption, of course, is reflected in uh, uh, in the uh, symbol, right, with the red land right yeah. beneath the yeah, forest. Yeah. Um,
1: and the red and, water running under it.
0: Yeah, so he said that there were some places where you could see um, Rudaran symbol, the Rudarian the symbol, which didn't have anything under it, which was just trees without the blob mm-hmm. underneath at the bottom. Um, yes. And this is clearly this clearly has the blob, right? Uh-huh. Right, coffee is standing right in the middle of it, right? The blob there. Yes. Um. So by that theory, by the theory of the person whose name I should remember, um...
1: Hang on, I'm going to look it up. I always interpreted the blob as, like, a reflection. It looks a bit like, you know, you have your pine trees, and then there's the pine trees reflected in the water beneath them.
0: It looks a little bit like that. Oh, it's Asterion. Okay, Asterion, right. Um, who was... Uh, arguing this. Let me... Yeah. Um... All okay, well, right, so we'll we'll be on the lookout. Um mm-hmm. to see what else we can find there.
1: But this certainly marks it as a Rudaran yes. edifice. Yes, in the and by Asterion's
0: <laughs> argument, a late Rudaran construction, not an early yeah. one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I- I'm gonna say there was a rock fall from up above that demolished most sort of, of this.
0: Smashed this. So that those random pillars were the outer periphery of what—a big old gazebo here?
1: <laughs> yeah, sure looks like gazebos.
0: Those Arnorians loved their gazebos. Okay.
1: Yeah, what's that about?
0: <sighs> so what I'm going to be most interested to see, as I was saying last time, is how much—not ooh, wait. There's more up there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Castles on the hills. Where are we? Lots now?
1: of them lots of them out here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where we are because I forget which one this is. Right. I love all the red rocks here. out here. The red rocks look like this sort of red clay based shale. It's really cool.
0: Okay. Well, running into trees. Is this one named? No. Okay. Right. See. So there's again the I can't see anything now. Oh, there we go. Ost Durgon. All right. Yeah. So that that Rudaran symbol. That's the uh, the new one, newer one, the post Gartha Garwin symbol by yes. Asterion's argument. Um, let me see if I can let me show you. he sent it yes. so Astion yeah. also did send a uh uh a, a screenshot
1: uh-huh.
0: of one of the what oh. what the argument was that this is the earlier one so hang on a second here let me see if I can show this on my screen. no wait hang on I've gotta let me shift out of that for a second and then shift this over. Okay. So, if you look at my screen here, this is a screenshot. This is deep inside Garthar Garwin. I think this is near Ivor. Uh-huh. Um, oh, yeah. So, the argument is that this is the old symbol of Rudar, which oh, actually okay. looks as much like a... Ca- it looks like... It, so, that center piece is not a tree, but it looks like a tower. See, it's even got a window in it. Right, so it looks like a tower flanked by trees, which would make sense for Rudaur, right? It's like a kingdom fortress within... It's like a
1: cell phone tower.
0: (laughs) Disguised to look like a tree? Disguised to look like a
1: tree.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so it's a tower amongst the trees, and notice there's nothing under it. You've just got the trunks of the trees and no blob at the bottom.
1: Yeah, it's not reflected like the trees are.
0: Exactly.
1: Imaginary water.
0: And this is what was leading Asterion to suggest or theorize that the blob underneath, which is, as we can see in the colored banners, the, you know, the blood red water of Gartha Garwin underneath, um, is a post corruption, uh, version, right? It's a post corruption of the land and therefore also post corruption of Rudauer, um, version of this so that this would, would have been the older, sort of emblem of uh uh of the old house of Rudar okay. and uh and then it was corrupted into this uh which reflects the blood red underneath and you can see that central tower um uh-huh. that is still taller Right now, it still it does not look any more much different from the other trees. In fact, it's apart from being a little bit skinnier proportionally, um, you know, it doesn't quite. It's not quite as Christmas tree like in shape. Mm -hmm. It does look, as you say, a little bit more like a cell tower disguised as a as a tree. Um,
1: Communication tree.
0: (laughs) But, uh, but, but, but still. It has lost its towerness, right, its distinctness, yeah, um and yeah. the one of the results also of the um, of the blob at the bottom, you know, which again the is sort of the 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 red bloody water at the bottom, um is to make it look more like a crown, right
1: yeah, the iron crown,
0: yeah
1: uh, but I hadn't thought of it. I always saw it as a reflection, I didn't think of what it was being reflected in,
0: right. Right, exactly. So I think that this is an interesting theory of Asterion's, and I'm now going to be on the lookout for more of those um, distinguishing examples, right? To see if we can find any of those, what Asterion theorizes to be older um, versions anywhere. Hmm. so much tree coverage around here. Yeah, it's hard to get good looks at things.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, and this just looks like a ruined fortress. I mean, this just looks like a fortress. And it's located yes. up in the hill. So this is in what? Is this the middle of the
1: gorge? Uh, that they
0: went up? So the hobbits kind of came this way? They didn't come up so to it's the, at the... top
1: of top of a hill. This isn't part of a gorge, I think. Not sure.
0: Ooh, almost ran off the stairs there. (laughs) Yeah, these are huge.
1: Reminds me a bit of the towers we saw just floating in that island uh, near, uh, on the, on the, on the shire side of the... Yeah. Yeah. That, that big tower in the middle of the island that didn't seem to serve any purpose.
0: Right, right. Hmm. Okay, here, let me, let's see if we can... Let's see if we can work our way back. Not back the way we came. I'm wanting to... Go, man, this is massive. Yeah. Oh, in fact, if we look at the mini-map, it uh-huh. suggests... That that fortress was at the end of a wall? Like, there were walls on either side here?
1: Oh, sheardrop. Oh. <laughs>
0: Wait, where where was there a sheer drop?
1: On the other side of one of the outer walls. Oh. I almost fell off.
0: Okay, let's see, where am I here? Right. Yeah, I
1: where can't find where I am. Where Can are we? I
0: orient we? myself in the...
1: Okay. I'm so, so lost, my little...
0: So, this is... Yeah.
1: warrior ansa is just trying to kill everything right now so i keep getting stuck
0: this is a double yeah hang on a second let me uh i'm summoning my cat here put my cat on attack everything um is that what i have my cat on let's see uh no i want my cat on instant kill
1: Yes, kill all the things. Okay. Aggressive mode.
0: Aggressive mode, that's it.
1: Which is just bar bar neutral for a cat.
0: Right. Uh so I uh When I was in California, I learned about cat cafes. I'd never heard of this.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: People were telling me like, uh, we were talking about lunch options, and they're like, "There's a cat cafe near here," and I'm like, "What? Like they serve cat?" And I'm like, "No, no, that's not what it is." <laughs> um, no. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, it's
1: it's a place to go and pet lots of cats while you enjoy.
0: Yeah, it's coffee
1: or biscuits or whatever.
0: Yeah, I know It uh, sounds like a really sweet idea. I I am. You know, it's hard I
1: would love that. Yeah, no, I'm deathly allergic to all animals, but cats in particular. I, yeah. I have reactions to the cat hair on people's clothing. Well, sometimes. that's just it.
0: I mean, that was like literally my first thought. I'm like, if I pass by that place on the street, I'm going to have to burn my clothes, or like it will kill my wife yeah. when I get home. No, um,
1: I've I've told my friends if you, my body is ever discovered at a cat cafe, suspect foul <laughs> play. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, see, now here, this is interesting because this is not, one wouldn't call this a gorge exactly.
1: No, no, it's not a gorge, it's a, it's a hill. It's, <laughs> it's a, a hill.
0: It's the opposite. It's, <laughs> it's
1: the, opposite,
0: opposite the opposite of a gorge. Um, so I'm thinking they didn't go up this way. Okay, there's the. Yeah. Them.
1: I think there's a sizable dip on the other side of this thing here as it gets closer to the lake, uh, the river, sorry. Oops. Nope.
0: Yeah, and here we've... Yeah, I'm going to slide down. Okay, so here we are, right, we're back near the river. So, okay. Um, yeah. No, yeah, Karina, I agree. I I thought it was a lovely idea. It's just hard. I've been, as I was explaining to folks out there, I have been, like, strongly conditioned by 21 years of marriage to uh, a person who will go into anaphylaxis and die anywhere near cats. So, like, (laughs) I hear cats. I even picture a room with, like, a whole bunch of cats in it like that, and, like, my immediate impulse is to, like interpose myself between my family and it for the sake of like preserving their lives um <laughs> all of them all yeah pretty much N- not my son yeah. nicholas he's the only one who seems to be non-allergic but um but yeah it's just uh you know i, I guess so it, like in theory it sounds great but i have this like i've 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 developed this visceral cat reaction uh over time just
1: So, just this part here is kind of a gorge. It just starts to go up again.
0: Right. Okay, so this is definitely Mm gorge-like. And look, from here you can see the ruin up on top of the hill. That's the ruin we were just at, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. so that now, so we might look over that and ask if trolls build, right? Uh, but of course we know that... So we go down into the gorge. And the fact that they've built the red circle right next to the road at this point seems to me sort of suggestive, too.
1: Oh, yeah, look at that.
0: Right. Okay. So I'm trying to... Oh, and it's getting late. But let's see if we can find we go down into the gorge, where do we end up?
1: Oh, big old rock.
0: Up there to the left is back where we, we just were.
1: Uh, right? none... Yeah, left, yeah. On the right, it's uh, just a cliff fix. Oh, we're boxed
0: yeah, in. So we can't go anywhere. So if that's where we left the path, then we have to end up going. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, So I'm trying to figure out where Strider's going, if there's a a way of retracing his steps here. We'll have to work on this. Okay, what happens if we come up over here? Can we get through over this way?
1: Yeah, we can go up the hill.
0: Oh, more ruins.
1: More ruins. Or the same ruins. I got a bit turned around. (laughs)
0: Now these are not the same ruins. These are different. Oh. No, wait. They are the same ruins. Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
1: yeah, they're the same one. Look, there's a sheer drop on the other side, too, so you can't go anywhere else.
0: We're just approaching it from...
1: Yeah. From to over total here? Perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's a... There we go. Now, that's a gorge down there. Tell you what, son...
0: yeah yeah um and you're right katron of course again with the scale thing they can't possibly reproduce every element of the landscape as described in the book uh directly but you know we have noticed some attention to detail when it comes to depicting things that are actively described in the game like remember when we way back when we were in the shire and we were seeing like, oh look, there are the, you know the the beech trees up along the hills that were described, you know by the green by the the green hill country, you know. So uh-huh. like they, they do make an effort uh, when things are described. Now the description here was less detailed as far as what they actually saw, um, and more uh, giving the sort of oh. overall character of things, right?
1: Yeah, it was spent on, on the party itself and the feelings they were experiencing at the yes.
0: time. Yes,
1: it was, it was all about. So was, was all about getting Frodo to safety. It was that ticking clock the whole time?
0: Yeah. Okay. This is a, and so all up here, this is a dead end except for what's a cliff, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Big ol' cliff.
0: All right. So I think that, I think that we have established that this is not the gorge we're looking for. <laughs> all right. But that's okay because we have other weeks in which we can explore other gorges and see if we can find uh, see if we can find the way but I should uh, we should go because it's getting late I, I, Yeah. whenever it's after midnight I am I am feeling well great,
1: especially great tomorrow we've got to stay up late tomorrow <laughs> that's
0: true big day Long tomorrow day. Halloween tomorrow yep. so okay very good so thanks everybody for joining me we will uh, uh, we will stop here Um, uh, thanks for helping me uh, crawl around the last bridge stare creepily at elf uh, ladies and explore (laughs) gorges Um, so um, yeah anyway thanks everybody for for joining us and we'll see you guys next week uh, uh, at the regular time as usual I'm pausing to make sure that's true yep yep I will be here next week (laughs) don't forget to Sign up for Magnolia Moot if you, can, uh, if you can possibly make it to Charlotte, North Carolina next weekend. Um, I will talk to you guys soon. Bye now.
1: Happy Halloween. Bye. Yes,
0: happy Halloween. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org slash fund.